This is the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. Whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just out and about, a warm welcome to you. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast Australia, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience programs since 1999. In this episode, we talk again with Peter Goss from the Grattan Institute about NAPLAN. In a previous discussion, Peter Goss answered some broader questions about NAPLAN 2015, and due to listener feedback, we're now back for some deeper insights. Join us as we ask Peter some of the harder questions. Peter Goss, uh, welcome back to the conversation. Great to be back. Good to hear the questions your listeners have, t- have brought up. Well, our listeners have brought up many questions and they go quite deep into the ins and outs of NAPLAN. Perhaps I can start you off with this one. Uh, so the question has been raised about correlation between student behaviour and NAPLAN. So how do you make adjustments for behavioural culture within a school? This is a great question because it raises the heart of what I think teachers have to deal with every day. How do I maximise learning, represented in some ways by NAPLAN, and also deal with the everyday reality of uh, the students and uh, and somewhat lively students. One of my kids is 13. I think uh, that would be a challenge challenge teaching his class with the behaviour. One of the things that um, we have learnt over time is that behavioural issues that come up in classes can come from a number of different places. Some of them can come from beyond the school, um, students living challenging lives. Some of them can come up from day-to-day ups and downs, that something happened in the playground or um, someone's girlfriend dumped someone else. Um, But behavioural challenges can also occur because of the level of instruction. When the material is far too easy for a student, they can be bored and they may well become disruptive. When the material is far too hard, sometimes students don't want that to be known and it could be easier to play up and uh, act the clown um, and write off the poor results that way rather than acknowledging that you don't know how to do the material that you're being asked to do. But kids love learning. I've heard that up to 80% of the behavioural infringements that a school was seeing actually went away when they started targeting their teaching more effectively. So that was what we heard from the principal of Brightvale, one of our case study schools. We heard from another of our case study schools in Big Sky College that the mathematics targeted teaching they were doing meant that a lot of the behavioural issues went away. The students came into the mathematics class knowing that they would get material that was going to be at a level that they could succeed with, knowing that their mathematics teachers were going to engage them there and be excited about learning and knowing what the rhythm was going to be. So in a pretty tough school, all of the maths teachers said, we don't have too many behavioural issues. In other classes, in other subjects, the teachers kept complaining about the behavioural issues. Oh, it's a tough school. Um, and the, the real kicker, um, it's an anecdote, but it, it maybe brings it to life, that a student who had been in these differentiated maths classes had got themselves kicked out of another class for playing up. 
and was wandering around, saw his maths teachers, wandered into the class, joined in the current material and spent the rest of the lesson happy as Larry. Wow. That's fascinating, isn't it? So let's not pretend that all behaviour comes from this, but there is a link. And that link is not so much about NAPLAN. It's about the current material in the classroom, whether that's appropriate. And the best way to see that would be not how much, what level is each student achieving at, the best way to see is, is each student making learning progress? Because if they are, they're probably engaged. If they're stalled, well, maybe that's because they're acting out or maybe they're going to start acting out if you don't get them unstalled. So just for our listeners uh, trying to get a a grasp on the variations that different schools might have in terms of their, their behavioral cultures, NAPLAN does not make any adjustments in its results for behavioral culture? as in the published results, that there are no statistical adjustments? My understanding is that it doesn't. I understand that they do look when they're doing the analysis at the number of students who completed all of the questions, etc. But it's very hard to link behavioural data at a school level with the results of a national test. I've got a question here from an English teacher who commented that students, uh, in her experience, don't really take the tests seriously. Could we suggest that this indicates perhaps a more significant problem of wider attitude within the Australian psyche? Should we be concerned about the fact that students are just simply not taking a test seriously? I suspect that that might also be said in many other countries, maybe in the UK or in the, in the US, uh, many other English-speaking countries. I suspect if you went to some of the East Asian countries, they would take the tests very seriously, but that may not be the, the path that we want to follow. Really, the way in which a student is likely to see a test is going to depend on how their peers see it, but also on how the teacher sees it. And as the, has the teacher made it clear that many of the tests, and the tests I'm talking about in targeted teaching, are for the purposes of helping student learning? And when students understand the importance of giving that accurate information to the teachers so that it can be fed back to them, then I would suspect that um, the students would take the testing more seriously. So it's a fine balance and, and maybe more of a local attitude than a national psyche issue. Um, And lastly, it's not just tests. I mean, this extends to gathering evidence of learning because that's what teachers need to know in order to to teach their students. And again, an anecdote, but in the school that we call St Aspire, where the students knew exactly what they needed to tick off next in a given area, then we heard from the teachers that they would be excited. They would say, Miss, Miss, can you tell me, um, can you test me because I want to show that I can do this next thing. Students don't mind being tested in, their, in video games. When, you can, when it's seen as evidence of progress, I suspect they would mind being tested less in learning and may take it more seriously. A maths teacher commented to me that the national averages, as published by NAPLAN, were already quite low. How do we make that part more well-known so that people actually realise that meeting the average of NAPLAN perhaps isn't that great? It's an important question. I find it quite hard to interpret what does an average score in NAPLAN mathematics mean 
um, at year five? How does that link to the curriculum? How does that link to what other countries might be doing? So I really can't answer this question directly. But what we have been looking at a little bit are the minimum standards. So for NAPLAN at year 3579, there is a minimum standard where if you're above it, then you're classified in one band, and if not, then you're classified in a below minimum standards band. And there are not many students across the country, on average roughly 5% of students fall below that national minimum standard. On one level, that sounds encouraging. On another level, if we compare it with international test results, such as PISA, then um, up to 20% of our students would be below the standards that PISA sets. So what you're suggesting is that our standard, our minimum standard, is a low standard that they are being measured against? I'm afraid so. And I think that it's important for schools and teachers to recognise that and to give accurate information to parents. Um, We are currently working through some analysis of NAPLAN data, which suggests that for mathematics, the minimum standard at year nine is some number of years below a year nine average, quite a lot of years, and that's a worry. Now, you were mentioning in a previous discussion that we had that the variance in student ability within a class could be uh, many years, uh, up to five or six years even, in one class. Is that minimum standard trying to uh, mimic that variation, or or are those two things mutually exclusive? I don't think they're linked at the moment. They're reflective of the same underlying phenomenon and issue. I think that the minimum standard was set through a process of negotiation originally um, and I would much rather it be set through a process of the standard that a student needs to meet to be able to succeed in the world for year nine students and then uh, you work appropriately. But setting a minimum standard that is maybe three or more years behind the average uh, is, I would say, a problem. Moving now towards how we prepare students for for NAPLAN, and this uh, answers to this question may be <laughs> difficult to uh, to ascertain, but um, is is it possible that there's a trend for different schools to be preparing students differently for NAPLAN? So some schools are saying, "Oh, NAPLAN's coming. Let's really prepare our students for this so that we look good." And is there a way of being able to tell or adjust for schools that do and uh, don't prepare their students for NAPLAN? Well, in some ways, Colin, I would hope that every student is preparing, every school is preparing their students for NAPLAN because to the extent that NAPLAN tests their core skills in numeracy and literacy, then schools should be doing that. Um, I'm not sure that's quite what the questioner meant, but in many ways the best way to prepare for NAPLAN is to do three things. One, teach well. Make Mm. sure that the students uh, get the underlying concepts. Two, give a short amount of familiarity with the test so that students can do their best with the questions in front of them, but that's not lots and lots of prep. And three, put it in a context to say, this is another day, this is going to test what you know, that information will be useful, do your best and then we'll move on. And we've spoken to schools that just do that. They know how well all of their current students are doing because of the assessment that they are doing either using standardised tests like PAT testing or using day-to-day checking against a recognised standard of where the students are. They know where the students are. They know how much progress they're making. NAPLAN rolls around. Great. Let's do this as well. 
let's cross-check that information so we don't pick up anything new, but we will be surprised if we learn too much from it because we've already got the information. That's maybe an ideal position, but we've seen some schools that are, that are pushing towards that. Mm. The question, I think, was saying, what about prepping specifically for NAPLAN? I think that is unfortunate. I think that is a distraction from maximising their genuine underlying learning. We all hear that it's happening. I would like to see a system where, if you imagine a pendulum, a seesaw, Colin, that many, many years ago there was not much standardised information. Now we had NAPLAN as a big test that is used nationally, and that has put the, the seesaw or the pendulum out of whack. Um, and then if we can provide teachers with the information they need in the classrooms, that's the way that I would like to see the rebalancing happen. And in that world, there would be very little need to specifically test prep for NAPLAN. I was very curious to hear your answer on this on this somewhat difficult question because I, I get reminded about reminded of that question frequently. There's a there's a school campus not far from uh, from where where I live that has one of those electronic signboards out the front, and it, for the last few weeks it's had this message on it saying "We blitzed NAPLAN again," and Ooh. and I thought, uh, okay, just which, which part did you blitz, and how hard did you work on achieving the right to be able to publish that message on that sign? So uh, there could be some uh, some variables there that we're not aware of. I think schools that want to say our students are blitzing their learning from wherever they're starting from, they're making huge amounts of progress, um, would be a lovely message to see. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and possibly more relevant for the individual students. So the next question I wanted to ask is that it's been postulated before that uh, it may be worth going to a sample-based test with NAPLAN rather than testing every student in the country. What are your thoughts on that? I know that that's done in some other places. It's similar to the previous answer, Colin, that um, I would like to see a more balanced assessment system where every school has the information on an ongoing basis to be able to know where their students are at so they can teach to that and how much progress is happening so they can review their own teaching practices and improve. Um, I think getting to focusing on what needs to happen to build up the the culture of using the evidence of learning on a day-to-day -day basis is where the focus should be. NAPLAN can keep on rolling as it is. It provides valuable information at a system level, at a school level, and potentially at a class level, but it doesn't provide the day-to-day -day information to inform teachers. So let's not spend the time talking about how we might change NAPLAN. Let's spend the time saying how can we get other information to the right hand. So in terms of trying to expand NAPLAN, is this, a, is this a wise thing to be considering or should we just keep it to where we're at? I'm just trying to get a little bit more detail on your last answer. Sure. So the first bit, not expanding, but the first thing that's going to happen is that we're going to move to adaptive testing and I think that will provide more accurate information and more timely information. So big tick for that one. In terms of expanding NAPLAN, the one gap is that we don't have information before, let's say, halfway through year three. So students have already done three and a half years of schooling before then, and it would be valuable to have some information to understand where students are at 
so that policymakers can inform what they're doing. Now, of course, teachers are constantly looking and understanding where the students are at. But NAPLAN Year 3 scores are actually quite a strong predictor of NAPLAN Year 9 scores, which in turn are quite a strong predictor of whether students will finish school and what might happen afterwards. So as a, someone who looks at the national data, I would really like to have a better understanding of what happens before Year 3. It doesn't mean it needs to come through NAPLAN. That's a nice segue into my next question because it's been suggested that we're not necessarily focusing students' education in what is applicable to the needs of society and the world in the coming decades. How applicable or agnostic is NAPLAN to this line of thinking? Again, I would say that NAPLAN, we should keep and improve with the adaptive testing, but not try to overstretch what it does. But the first part of the question, I think, is deeply important. Teachers and parents have greater aspirations for uh, their four- and five-year-olds that go into school than that by the time they're 15, they'll do particularly well on something called a NAPLAN test. We want our students and our young people to be ready to survive and thrive in the modern world. Literacy and numeracy are core foundations that underpin this, and that's why NAPLAN has focused on those. But we also want students to have a broad range of other cognitive skills, creative thinking, critical thinking. How do I know that this information I just uh, got from Google or Wikipedia is actually valid? And also some of the personal characteristics such as resilience and persistence that really make a difference in in life and in school, of course, but in life. So we don't we talk about this. The Melbourne Declaration talks about this, and I summarise it as wanting a broad, rich and deep education. But we measure a quite narrow set of things. It's exciting that there are some moves to change this, and I'll uh, flag two. Um, PISA in 2016 is going to be looking at collaborative problem solving, so how to work in teams to solve problems, which is very important in, uh, in many parts of the life. And, in fact, today the Victorian government has announced that they are going to be looking to include some of these broader tests on critical and creative thinking as part of their education state reform. I'd like to finish with a question that might help to bring a smile to a parent's face, and uh, and that relates back to, once again, no surprises here, but mathematics. I think yeah. it would be, be fair to say that maths is a fairly uh, polarising or divisive subject. You either like it or you don't like it, or you say, I've had trouble or I haven't had trouble. And it's been uh, suggested to me in conversation that many parents uh, have had trouble with, with maths in the past when they were young yet data is presented to them about their child's progress and NAPLAN is all about data. How can we help parents uh, understand the data that's being presented to them and how can we help them celebrate the, the successes of their children? Success ideally should come from progress. And I saw a great example of this yesterday um, with a kids' cricket team where the coach said, it doesn't matter how many catches you take, it's do each week you start taking more catches. Do you get better at taking the catches? So the mindset is a really important piece. The other side is that we've talked a lot about data, Colin, and I 
deeply believe that it can be useful, but data on its own doesn't do anything. It sits there. It's about understanding the, the data and the information, interpreting it, and then humanising it that is really important. And this is where the presentation of the information matters and some other countries have ways of presenting data that makes it easier to see what the progress is like. An example of that would be Holland, where one of their reports looks like the chart you would have for a baby of how many months old and then years old and how much do they weigh, how tall are they, what are the percentiles, so a, a height for age or a weight for age sort of chart. That sort of present, presentation can help. But I think that the biggest task for supporting parents, particularly those who are not familiar with mathematics, is to is got to be done by the schools and the teachers. This is the human face of things informed by the data, saying, what does it mean when your child has ticked off a number of tasks? What does that help them do in the world? Did that give them confidence? How did that how did they overcome some of those challenges? And some parents you know, may be willing to sort of help the homework and do that, but every ch- every parent hopefully could recognise the challenge. And again, going back to the sporting analogy, um, you know, when a child uh, around the 10, 11, 12 age breaks 40 seconds for a, a 50 metre freestyle, then that's quite a milestone and that should be celebrated. It doesn't really matter whether the child does it at eight, which some students can do, or whether they do that at 14. Breaking through that milestone and moving ahead is something that matters. And schools and teachers who have that relationship with the student, who have that relationship with the, uh, with the parents, hopefully, I think are the best place to do that. Peter Goss, some fascinating insights there. Again, I'm sure you've given our listeners plenty to think about. Thanks very much for your time. Delighted to be with you again, Colin. You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast Australia. If you'd like to comment on this podcast, send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. And if you'd like to find out more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au, where you can also subscribe to the blog. Until next time, bye for now.